a city that is not designed for women doesn't visibilize the work of care. It presumes the work of care happens somehow, you know, and unless we make it uh, saying this is part of a city, because what, care is part of a city. Children need to be looked after. Elderly people need to be looked after, right? Hi, I'm Kalpana Vishwanath and I am the co-founder and CEO of Safety Pin and you are listening to Understanding the Future Podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities at the National Institute of Urban Affairs and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future Podcast. I have been working and studying in the field of sustainability and climate change for more than eight years. And I have realized that I have a lot of questions on how we can build cities in India that are more climate focused. With Understanding the Future podcast, I interact with experts, entrepreneurs and government officials to understand what it takes to bring all the different solutions to the ground, as well as how can systemic changes be developed on ground. We will further anchor all the topics being discussed with different skill sets required. This will help us understand the future of cities and future of work in Indian context. If you are tuning in for the first time, do check out our previous episodes. Also, don't forget to check out the Climate Practitioners India Network, a members-led solutions-oriented platform for climate practitioners across India. And join it through the show note. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities. And today we have with us Kalpana Vishwana. She is a co-founder of Safety Pin, and today she will help us understand about the safety in cities. Welcome to the show, Kalpana. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, let's, let's start the topic on the lines of first understanding. What, what do we mean by safety? What are the different aspects of safety we are looking at? Uh, what is what do we actually mean by it? That is um, a very interesting question because often when, as a lay term, and when look at safety or what is given in the newspaper, it is very often conflated with security. So it's like you know, do you have CCTV cameras, policing? But when we look at cities, over the years that we've been doing this work around building safer cities, safety is actually a much broader concept because the lack of safety has very large impact on the lives of people. So, for example, for a woman, if she feels or perceives that a city is unsafe, it often affects her uh, ability to access opportunities in the city. So whether it's to go to work, whether it's maybe to study, maybe whether it's for a young girl to go for tuition classes, uh, enjoy some leisure time in a park. So the impact of the lack of safety is quite wide and vast on the lives of people. So therefore, safety is actually not just about policing. It is not just about CCTV cameras or security, but safety is to me, a larger concept of a sense of uh, inclusion, uh, accessibility, and 
it is actually linked to the notion of the right to the city. Because a lack of safety impacts on the ability of a person to exercise her right to the city, to, to sort of access opportunities uh, for education, employment, livelihood, and eventually impacts her well-being. So I think safety needs to be defined in a much larger concept within the larger, I think, rubric and ambit of what we look at today as inclusive cities. And what we are trying to do is really saying, uh, we don't talk so much only about safe cities, but what we're saying is what is a gender-friendly city? You know, so you actually, in our case, it may be in another case, child-friendly. I mean, there are many, many sets of people who are often excluded when cities are being planned and designed. So, you know, bringing that diversity to the table, since a lot of our work has been focused on gender inclusion and women and girls' lack of opportunities, that is often the entry point that we've been taking into it. And really, so for me, safety is really gender inclusion, gender friendliness, and accessibility uh, towards uh, enhancing women's right to the city. Okay. Uh, so when we are talking about gender-friendly cities, uh, can you give a more broader context of the same online of how each gender would feel uh, more safe and include, included in the society? Uh, and what are we then looking at it from cities' perspective? Because I think that will help us uh, create a better base on the lines of our further conversations that will come into picture. Absolutely. So, you know, when we look at gender, um, we, of course, there are not only two genders. Today, there's more and more um, uh, sort of awareness about the fact that there was a non-binary. But I think a lot of our work till now has focused largely on um, uh, women's exclusion. And so I'll focus on that, recognizing that there are the more um, issues here. So what, what is, you know, conventionally our cities have been designed for and by uh, for a able-bodied male, uh, often a heterosexual male, who goes to office or a place of work in the morning and returns to the evening. So we have the concept of the of a rush hour. We have the way that society is organized around this uh, this reality. Right. Uh, so you off in the morning and expect that. And why is is that all the work of care gets taken care of while you may not even be there, and then you come back in the evening and you you know uh, enjoy whatever there is. Now, when you bring in women's lives, the one of the biggest issues we have to factor in is the work of care. So the work of care is central to humanity, right? It is none of us exist without the work of care. But it is invisibilized work. Now, when women start occupying public spaces, when women start engaging in the city, what you're doing is you're visibilizing that part of, uh, of social life, right? So if we look at even the notion of the way that women move in a city, they move differently from the way men move. We have this concept of trip chaining. So women may um, go in the morning, drop the children at school on the way to work. They may even come back in the afternoon. 
to feed the children, pick up the children, or if they do in the evening, they work and they would um, go to the market on the way back, pick up groceries, come home. If you look at domestic workers in many of our cities, they come early in the morning at about five o'clock, work in several households, right? Uh, and then go back home in the afternoon, uh, look after their children, feed their children who come back from school, and then um, come back in the afternoon, sometimes work through the evening. So the nature of um, engagement with the city, the nature of engagement with public infrastructure and services, I think we need to mention that. But when we say inclusive or gender-friendly, what is it that we want? What needs to be gender-friendly and inclusive? It is infrastructure and services that a city um, uh, sort of offers to its residents, right? How do we make these more um, uh, gender-friendly? So if we look at, for example, you know, if women need to be out, one of the big issues for women in terms of safety is the lack of safety or fear after a city gets dark. So the nature of the city changes once it gets dark. So in the daytime, there is a lot more freedom to move around. Uh, and the moment the city gets dark, if you look, even look at the cities that, that we are living in now, Delhi, uh, it is a very male-dominated space after dark. So how do we get more women to be part of city life? Now, this has to be done from the, you know, women need to be uh, at the table when cities are being designed and planned and services are being designed. So when we want to plan, um, say, uh, where markets should be, how should parks be uh, more friendly, what kind of public transport is needed, what are the kinds of services that um, women need, uh, especially women, say, young mothers when they go out with children. Uh, since women do a lot of the work of care, uh, public toilets, that's another big issue, right? Because in most of our cities in India, we find that there's a severe lack of public toilets. And I'll give you one example of how this impacts gender exclusion or inclusion in cities. A lot of bus drivers, when in, in Delhi, we try to um, get women to become bus drivers and bus conductors. Initially, it was found that even in the bus depots, there was no women's toilet. There were only male toilets. Now, if you have to go out in the city, you need toilets. I mean, you know, if, if a woman needs to be a street vendor who's working on the, in the city, uh, working from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night, she needs a place where she can go, uh, you know, go to the toilet, maybe put her feet up, uh, rest in between, if her child is nearby, maybe somewhere where she can feed her child. So, you know, I think there are many elements to it. And I'm really bringing the work of care centrally um, to say that, you know, a, a, a city that is not designed for women doesn't visibilize the work of care. It presumes the work of care happens somehow, you know. And unless we make it uh, saying this is part of a city, because what, care is part of a city. Children need to be looked after. Elderly people need to be looked after. Right? Cooking needs to be done. So if you design a city for these diverse uses, you will design a public transport system that is more uh, flexible. So, you know, you'll not have, say, if six o'clock in the morning is when a lot of factory workers and domestic workers go, maybe we need to have a little more public transport at the time, certain kinds of public transport, right? So I think, to me, it is getting a diverse set of people at the table. It is looking at services in a way and infrastructure in a way that makes it more inclusive. 
So, uh, you know, it is very concrete. It's not something in the air when we say gender publicity. There are very clear indicators and variables that we can begin to measure to say, how do you make a city gender friendly? That's that's uh, quite uh, good things that you've uh, brought up because uh, there are quite a lot of things that now I also get to understand correctly that it's uh, something on that terms of uh, safety in terms of uh, after that uh, about how inclusion can come into picture uh, and coming on those lines ahead uh, how is it possible uh, to quantify on each city scale that this is how safe it is and this is how inclusive it is and move forward or it is still very difficult to quantify that uh, because my assumption is also that uh, while some of the uh, things can be thought of that okay these basic services are taken care of but uh, the implementation of say, the same needs to be much more contextualized to each city somewhere and what all uh, things are possible to make sure that this can be more standardized uh, across each city no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, at Safety Pen, our aim so far has to been, has been to bring some kind of parameters which can be used to, uh, you know, measure cities. Uh, recognizing that everything cannot be quantified, but you can have a set of parameters. For example, we do have livability indices. You know, the economics out of safe city index. So, um, you know, there are ways that we can um, begin to measure. So, one of the things is the safety audit. Now, a safety audit measures uh, the nature of the public space. So, it looks at how the public infrastructure is inclusive or safe. So, it measures things like, you know, inf the infrastructure such as lighting, the walkability, but it also looks at um, the social usage of the space. So are there eyes on the street? Is it a deserted space? Is it an active street? Are there, you know, uh, people who use the street for street vending, for sitting in a cafe, for a tea stall, etc.? Or is it a deserted street? You know? And uh, it's very important to measure both. No? Because I'll give an example to look at um, uh, Latian's Delhi. It's got very good infrastructure. But, you know, I wouldn't be caught dead walking there in the evening because there is absolutely not a soul who occupies that street except for the security guard whose only uh, interest is to uh, safeguard the big homes inside. So unless a street is active, right, you know, you uh, walk on in Chamichok, if I walk even in Rajpatnagar, yeah, the street is alive, you know, and it may be crowded. I may have to bump into people, but I would feel safer in a space where there is activity. So one part of it that we have uh, found a way to measure and assess is the safety part. Right? So that is a way of looking at public spaces to say what kind of um, amenities and what kind of infrastructure is necessary. Now, in addition to that, there are a few other elements that need to be can be measured. The second one is services. And in services, I would put things like um, public transport, right? And even public toilets. Uh, so that's another whole set of things. Then there's a third arena which we can look at a little bit, which is on security. Now, you know, um, the presence of policing, 
the kind of policing that is done, right? And then uh, I think we can measure also the gender friendliness of urban policies, you know, of master plans. Is there an element when, when while planning the city, you know, while devising policies, that there's a recognition that this has to be done? So if you divide, you know, if you look at these four broad arenas, policies, um, physical infrastructure, social usage, and services, under these, we can come up with a series of indicators, which is what the kind of work we've been doing, and then give some kind of, um, you know, you can measure it, you can see, you can give a score to it. So, for example, the safety audit itself, we do give a score, but you also identify what is missing. And therefore, you're able to then provide recommendations or, you know, uh, work with municipal governments or others to fix those. So the idea is, you know, uh, to me, any index, uh, the value of the index is not just in, in the score, but if it, it unpacks the score and tells you how can you better yourself, right? It's not just, oh, this is number one and that is number 10. You know, that is... Uh, that's a nice newspaper article, but that doesn't really change the world for people. You know? And so what the kind of work we're trying to do is really say, how do you unpack that score? How unpack those indicators? So lighting may be good in these areas, but the walk path is it's so unwalkable, the street, that people end up walking on the on the road and they face the danger of, you know, both road accidents as well as um, you know, feeling fearful or whatever. So there's a range of kind of things we can unpack. You know, policies are gender blind. Uh, is planned is gender blind. The security and policing structure is not such that, you know, the hotspots are being uh, policed well at night. So, you know, there are, we, I, I do believe, and that's the work that we've been doing, is to try and unpack those indicators so that it doesn't seem it's not something so abstract. Oh, we can never make cities safer with it. That's not true. You can do some things, you know, and you can do quite a few things if you are intentional about your planning, intentional about your implementation, intentional about the way you feel people can move about cities. So, I, you know, uh, yeah, to answer your question, we, we really do need to um, make those indicators, uh, which we, many of us are working on, not just in India, but globally. But then socialize them because get city governments and municipal governments to uh, bring them into their ambit to begin to report on it. You know, so for example, the SDGs already have some indications, whether it's SDG 11, whether it's SDG 5. You know, on some of the um, targets. Now, if we begin to unpack them a little bit more and come up with very clear indicators, that will help. I think cities um, become uh, more inclusive. Friendly, accessible, you know, cities for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely, that's uh, true. And I, I like the whole uh, concept of safety audit and having a progressive level because I feel somewhere it's important to handhold cities through the process that, okay, how can you improve mm -hmm. on that score? And that is something that we also do with climate cities uh, because it's not that they are going to know something right away that, okay, okay, we are back here, but how can we improve is, I think, the something which helps them understand it in a better way, uh, more implementable actions as well, uh, instead of just shooting in the dark. And uh, so I, I do have, like, I want to unpack it uh, much more. And uh, first, I would like to take up the technology side of it. 
So is it more on the lines of, so one part is on the lines that for this whole audit, are there any technological uh, help do we take for this, uh, to do the whole process? And the second is uh, on the lines of, uh, are there any solutions which help facilitate better safety in the city? And how does that help? And to what extent? Because I, I don't think so. Some of the like eyes on the street, we can have cameras, but I'm not sure that it will be as effective as either physical eyes on the street. So how effective are those as well? Something on those lines uh, would also be quite helpful. Uh, but technology is an enabler, and we must recognize that technology in itself may not be the answer unless you look at technology as an enabler for social equity, for better cities, whatever it is you want, right? So, so it, I mean, to answer your second person, in a sense, to say, for example, the CCTV camera. Now, the thing is that, you know, you're absolutely right. When I say eyes on the street, it's not the camera. Because the camera doesn't The camera is a tool to aid police in maybe after the climate. Honestly, that is globally that's what we are seeing, right? So increasing the number of CCTV cameras and it's being seen as a quick fix solution. For example, Delhi is proudly proclaiming that they have the most CCTV cameras in the country or I don't know what. Now, uh, to me, that is, uh, you know, it's a it's a technological fix, which is not recognizing the human angle, you know. Uh, who said that like, CCTV cameras make cities safer? From whose perspective does it make it safer? So unless we ask these questions, the technology is not going to be an aid. It's not going to help us. It, it just stands on its own. Now, on the safety audit perspective and the technology that uh, we have developed, the Safety Pin app, which is a way for the crowd, for public, for citizens and residents of a city to give their input about the city. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's an app for crowdsourcing data. So you can download the app and do a safety audit in the city. You know, and the safety audit has eight parameters, which is, Includes things like lighting, walkability, how close is public transport, eyes on the street, but not as the security, but eyes on the street as the urban design principle is who can see you when you're on the street. Are there high boundary walls? Like many of our cities have very high boundary walls, setbacks, uh, which actually prevent the street from being an active space. Uh, so the safety audit measures these eight parameters, including public transport and security. And then it also asks, do you feel safe in Zambia? There's a lot of things about safety that you people perception. You know, I just feel unsafe here. It's not that there's necessarily been a crime, but I feel unsafe. So the safety audit is a tool that uh, in our app, we've tried to make it a crowdsource tool where we get people to share what they see. And that data is available on the app. So you can see what other people have said. And based on that, safety score is given uh, and other elements are there. So technology, um, you know, of course, we are also, you know, building it, constantly improving it. I'm not saying we have the final answer or something. But at Safety Pin, one of the things we've tried to do over the past eight years is really to say how can technology uh, be um, made, be 
used to make cities more friendly, gender-friendly and safe, but in a way that truly reflects the needs of people. So it's really a bottom-up tool, not just a top-down tool where, you know, someone says that this technology will help for that facial recognition, this, that, and there's a lot of technology. It's important to look at how does it uh, actually reflect people's voices. And so I do believe technology can make a difference. I do believe technology can be an enabler. But the makers of the technology, the designers of the technology must recognize that there is diversity in the users of technology also. And I think that is where sometimes, um, you know, we, uh, there is a constant need to keep pushing the boundaries, you know. We see today there's a whole notion of the algorithmic bias. You know, when machine learning looks at images, it's uh, doing things like, you know, not being able to identify properly. You know, so that becomes a problem. So how do we um, address even that? So, you know, I think we have to engage with technology. I don't think there is a choice. Mm, I don't think it's wise to not engage with technology. You know, and I think that's important to do to make technology more and more available. And I just want to give you a very small example where we did a project um, with a, a set of young women in a low-income neighborhood in Delhi, where many of them did not own smartphones themselves. But what we did is we um, just, you know, gave a, one or two smartphones that they could use to map their public spaces using both safety pins, but also just images and just uh, share their feelings and uh, on the, this thing. And we found that, you know, they they were able to use it in a way that really impacted their lives. They were able to point out which parts of their community uh, they felt unsafe and excluded and how it could be improved. And that, for example, one thing they came up with is in the evening, we can't go for tuition classes because the street is not safe. You know? And so then that data was used to both improve the lighting as well as put a kind of a police picket between 6 and 9 at night. Now it was very significant because... Once girls can also go for tuition, they are then at least equally placed when they're, um, you know, going into the competitive exam, stuff like that. So the thing is, you know, once you begin to see the human uh, kind of uh, element of technology and the impact of these, I think you can design um, much, much more gender-friendly technologies, much more inclusive ways of doing this. So, you know, it's, it's it's important, it needs to be done, it's an enabler, but it's not a magic bullet. And that's the, what I would say. No, absolutely. I, I do, I do agree. And somewhere, I do agree that those biases are something which uh, is, really needs to be looked into the whole uh, algorithmic biases are uh, no jokes when people are trying to uh, develop systems which will not require a lot of human intervention and uh, at a certain point in time that might create much more problems than the help that is supposed to do. And uh, so coming again to uh, where you had said that, okay, these are the different parameters of safety and uh, the progressive levels of the safety. Uh, if you can also help us understand how municipal corporations can uh, take this up as a service for its own uh, betterment of the society and somewhere on the line I'm also assuming if you can give us a uh, 
couple of examples on some of the best practices that have been done, maybe in India, preferably, or uh, around the world as well, to be able to inculcate this whole uh, process. Absolutely. I mean, the buck stops with the city government and the municipal corporation, right? At that level, we can do the analysis, we can do everything, but the changes that have to be done on the ground have to be done by the government. Like, I can't install a street light. I can't fix a broken pavement, right? I can't install a public toilet. These have to be done by the municipal corporation. So I think, um, you know, what needs to be done and what is that it has to be a co-created collaborative process right from the start. You know, I think even the data collection, even the diagnosis, even the analysis must be done as a, as a joint exercise. So cities and municipal corporations should be involved. Uh, they should also share what are their challenges, what are their, um, uh, you know, problems that they face. Uh, community level meetings can take place, technologies can be used, safety audits can be done, focus groups, ways of, you know, uh, doing the diagnosis on these different levels of, um, of the indicators, right? Like I said, I've given you four broad areas, right? So policy, infrastructure, social infrastructure, as well as services. So once we do the diagnosis in a collaborative way, where you involve, you know, young people, you involve even the voices of the old of older people. For example, today we know that our cities are also graying. So how do we make sure that older people's um, needs are also taken into consideration? So you do a kind of a diagnosis, which is a collective diagnosis, and the municipal corporation is involved in that. So there is a conversation taking place. So it's not something that somebody is doing something somewhere else, giving some data, the municipal corporation is unable to understand, unwilling to engage with it, because often municipal corporations um, do not want to change business as usual. You know, it's more work sometimes to do things differently. You know, so I think that um, conversations need to, you know, say what is in it for me. Right? At the end of the day, what is in it for the community? What is in it for the, you know, say, the business who is a partner? What is in it for an academic institution? What is in it for an NGO? What is in it for the uh, for a citizens group for the municipality? Right. So unless we're able to create that kind of ecosystem where there is the um, recognition that the change will improve things, uh, it's not going to, you know, it's not really going to happen, honestly. Because then it will be piecemeal, you know, okay, take care, we will fix one light here. But that's not enough, right? We need to do a lot more. So I think that's an important one. And I'd like to give a, one example of the work we've been doing in Delhi which to me has been uh, at least a couple of steps which are positive. So the data we collected, you know, both using um, different methodologies, I don't want to get into that right now, was we were able to actually map the entire city in terms of all these uh, physical and social infrastructure. And one of the things that came out was the issue of lighting and the dark spots in the city. Uh, and when the Delhi government, uh, when we worked with them, they recognized that um, this actually has a great impact on many people's mobility, not just uh, women, but certainly women. And so uh, the what they did was they brought together all the stakeholders who work on lighting. Now, this is also important, right? Because in a city like Delhi, there are some 15 stakeholders who improve lighting. 
There are the three MCDs, there's the PWD, there's a national highway, there is this or that. So when you go individually, you go say this light is not working, they'll say this is not our light, this is the national highway. But what they did was actually they, under the power secretary, they put all the stakeholders. So right then and there, if someone said this is not my jurisdiction, you could then have that conversation. So in fact, the the lighting in our initial mapping, we found there were maybe over 7,000 points which were poorly lit. And after this exercise and improvement of the lighting, it came down to like less than um, 2,000. So, you know, so you, I think um, if there is a conversation, if data speaks clearly, uh, if the municipal corporation is brought on board, if they see how to impact them, there is a way that it can be done. No? And I think that becomes an improvement. Then uh, when we did that, then we also um, went back to them and they, they were looking at this whole issue of last mile connectivity. Because lighting is one part, but you know, the metro is safe. But when a woman gets off the metro, what happens after that? How do you feel, uh, walk home safely? So we did um, a kind of a analysis of, you know, maybe 20 metro stations in the city to say, what is the problem at the metro station? How do you organize last mile transit? How do you make the area have um, a, be a lively public space? So when I get out of a metro station at 9.30 at night, if there's lighting, if there are little shops, if there are vendors, if there are people, if there's a good um, the police desk, if I can get into an e-rickshaw comfortably, all this makes the journey safer, right? So this is something again we were able to work with. So uh, similarly, many cities have done interesting um, kind of uh, things. So one... Uh, one project we had done actually in uh, in Hanoi, which is a you know a, a city in Vietnam, where you know while they were building the metro track, they got um to work with the, a youth group to actually audit where the new metro stations were going to come out, so that even before the metro stations were built, last mile connectivity and accessibility addressed. You know, because, you know, a lot of, there were a lot of universities and other things along that metro line. So I think, um, you know, there are ways, you know, uh, for example, a lot of work is being done in some, in, in many Indian cities around improving NMT infrastructure, cycling, improving the walk path, you know, making it more walkable. Because, you know, they, our data is showing that, you know, uh, women walk to work. A lot of women either walk or use public transport. Because really, if a car, if there's one car or one motorcycle in a family, it's likely the main will use it. So if you're looking at expanding access, you know, you look at the public transport realm, you know. So even, so like the city I live in Gurgaon, it's unusual. Um, because there was very little public transport initially, I think lots of domestic workers cycle. And this is not a common site, say, even in Delhi. But if you come to Gurgaon, you'll find you know, hundreds of domestic workers bicycling to work and back in the early morning, the early evening. You can improve, uh, you know, bicycle infrastructure for them. So I think there is, um, there are uh, many ways that municipal corporations, city governments, other uh, actors, you know, transport authorities, uh, when they listen to the diverse voices, when they listen to what the data is saying, what they can design can actually be a lot, it can be very um, fruitful for them as well, you know. Like we do want more people, they want more people to use public transport, right? We do want this thing. So if you design public transport in a way that is responsive to needs, more people will use it. Right? So I think um, 
there is a synergistic way that we can look at this. If we look, realize that there is an ecosystem and we start engaging different partners of that ecosystem. And I don't think we should include businesses, we should include the non-profit, we should include academics, we should include citizens groups, resident associations. To, you know, I think today a lot of work globally is recognizing that city building is a collective exercise. It's not a top-down exercise of the population doing something, right? So I think that's the big step that we are taking, hopefully. I, I do agree. It's a very complex uh, science in its own uh, somewhere because there is no one right answer to any of the problems or challenges that we are talking about as well. Uh, and uh, some of the solutions can actually help uh, develop, uh, you know, give multiple answers, uh, like just increasing energy and developing such a space uh, will have a benefit of not only creating a safer space, but also just improving on the, uh, reducing the amount of vehicular traffic, which in turn kind of somewhere comes back to climate change. So I, I do believe that it's, it's a complicated, uh, system that yes, one solution can give you multiple answers, but at the same time, uh, one question, uh, can also be there, which can, uh, which will have to be facilitated at the bottom of the pyramid over there. And, uh, thank you so much. This, this was quite interesting. And, uh, this is one of the last questions that we ask everyone, uh, which is on the lines of different skill sets. Uh, and, and looking at it from both hardcore and softcore, uh, soft skills, that what are the different skill sets required to develop this kind of field, uh, to be more prominent in its own action format, uh, so that more and more people can work towards it to develop something on these lines. So as I um, you know said, I think that it is the, it's the understanding that actually our cities are a collaborative space. You know? So I think that um, is a big one. You know, so to get really a diverse set of voices at the table to um, begin when you design, plan services, infrastructure, the range of things. I think that's a big one we need to. Uh, but certainly infrastructure itself needs to be um, strengthened and bolstered. And I think the point that um, you made to me is a very important point, which over the years I have come to, that a lot of these problems are pointing to a similar solution. So whether it's actually decarbonizing or safety, um, and I'll explain to you, because over the years what we found is that if you make a city safe, it is a walkable city. And if you make a city walkable, it's a safe city. Now, this is an interesting thing, correlation, right? So if you make a city walkable, it's actually safe. Now, when you make a city more walkable and you make it more safe, you can begin to, uh, you know, address the decarbonizing agenda as well, you know, and therefore work towards uh, decongesting our cities, right? And then you start planning cities, you know, this COVID pandemic has brought up ideas of having, uh, you know, more, uh, what do you call it, uh, whatever, 10 minute, 15 minute city, you know, we cannot do it maybe in the same way they do in the Western thing, but we can. I mean, like, for example, neighborhoods, which actually have the key amenities uh, at, uh, you know, uh, walking, cycling, cycle rickshaw, etc. you know, I think, you know, for me, the cycle rickshaw is, is 
is something we should not get rid of. It's actually a very, uh, it's a it's a very good mode of transport. So in so many ways, you know, it's something we should promote. Uh, sustainability, and I think that's one of the clearly one of the biggest challenges facing us today. There's no doubt about it. You know, look at our cities; uh, they are a mess. Most of them are a mess, and I think we, uh, it's an it's an urgent urgent that we have to fix that. You know, I, I don't think we have any time left to do it. You know, and I think once we see the connections between all of us, you know, if we make a city child friendly, if a child can walk to school. You, you have done such a big, I think, um, <laughs> uh, big step towards sustainability, towards safety, towards so many things that, you know, we um, can begin to talk about sustainable, future-looking cities that are, you know, carbon-friendly, decarbonized, the whole range of issues and, um, and inclusive, you know. So I think, um, to me, some of the key words that we need to look at is actually inclusion. And if we, if we are building cities that are truly inclusive, I think we will begin to address a lot of the other uh, elements. And that inclusion is, it has a both a hard infrastructure element to it, as well as a soft part of it, which is really listening to the diversity of voices. And uh, I think some of our cities are going in that direction. There is evidence that, you know, a recognition that this is something that needs to be done, you know. Uh, and I think, uh, so it's not like a smart city is not just in the infrastructure or the technology. Smart, the smart city is when that infrastructure is actually responding to the needs of the people of that city. And I think that, um, that is the journey that we Indian cities, uh, need to take actually to become livable, uh, to become, you know, truly uh, livable and, uh, Truly places that we, um, you know, thrive. Cities are beautiful places, I love, you know, because it provides so much to us. And I think uh, we should treasure it and we should actually um, uh, preserve it, treasure it, make them sustainable, make them more meaningful for the people who live in it. Absolutely. I, I do agree about uh, the same. It's, it's all... Uh, it all comes down together. It's not just the one thing that uh, is pointed out. Uh, solutions are just a few of them, if uh, done properly, can have impact on several range of issues which are uh, key to, for us to also grow in a better way. And uh, thank you so much. If I have missed out on any specific things and you would like to cover it up, I think uh, we can do that uh, now. I think I've said, I was able to end with my love for cities, so that's, <laughs> I think it's something we don't recognize, you know, most of us actually love our cities, love cities also, you know, and therefore we should build cities which are lovable, <laughs> truly, yeah. I absolutely mm. agree, it's very important to enjoy uh, where you live somewhere, otherwise it becomes a problem of living there in itself, because that's not possible, there is something that needs to be done about this uh thank you so much uh for your time this was surely a very interesting conversation and uh yeah we hope to see that more and more cities bring up these perspectives to make it as safer as possible uh including the inclusion parameters of thank you so much
Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and follow us on all social media channels. For more details about the Climate Center for Cities and registration on Climate Practitioners India Network, click on the link in the show notes. The episode is conceptualized and produced by Punit Gandhi. A big thank you to the whole team at CQ and NIUA for supporting the development of the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.